You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, The first headline I saw about the monkeypox outbreak, I didn't think I needed to read it. I thought, oh my God, I am plagued out at the moment and nothing in this headline makes me think I need to read past the headline, which most people don't do, whatever the story is. We scan the headlines, we skip most of the actual news stories. All of us do that. Even news junkies like me do that. You can't read everything. But I started reading. It's a viral infection related to smallpox. Sounds kind of unpleasant. Rarely deadly. First seen in monkeys, hence the name, but you don't get it from monkeys. Last time anyone got it in the United States was in 2003, and it was from a prairie dog. And it's almost always seen in people who have visited West or Central Africa or been in close contact with an infected person who has recently visited those parts of Africa. It's also really hard to catch. It's not as infectious as COVID. It's not airborne. Sometimes mistaken for the flu at first, aches and pains and a fever, swollen lymph nodes, but then a rash and pus-filled blisters follow and there were pictures and ick. Anyway, I kept reading, even though I didn't feel like monkeypox was something I personally needed to be worried about. And the headline certainly didn't make it seem like it was something I needed to worry about. But I like to be informed even about things that don't have anything to do with me. I'm also Catholic and a bit of a hypochondriac, and I like to worry about things that shouldn't worry me. A man needs a hobby, so I kept reading. And then, 15 paragraphs into this story, I learned that almost all of the cases in this outbreak, and now 15 countries all over the world, all at once, which has never been seen with monkeypox before, this outbreak, which is freaking the fuck out of scientists at the World Health Organization, And the CDC, all of these cases seen in the UK, US, Spain, Canada, Belgium, Australia, Austria, Israel, Switzerland, have been among gay and bisexual men. Oh, so this is something I might need to worry about. And it's something other gay and bi men might need to worry about. But They won't know to worry about it unless they keep reading past the headline and right down to the 15th paragraph, which most people, gay or straight, don't do. Seems to me that they're kind of maybe burying the lead on this whole monkeypox thing. Seems to me that the people most at risk, gay and bi men, most need to be informed The gay thing, maybe it didn't belong in the headline, but it should have been in the subhead or given a poll quote, something. But you wouldn't know that. NBC News put out a piece today that didn't mention it in the headline or the subhead or a poll quote. I literally just read this piece right now, right as I was about to sit down and record. The symptoms and causes of monkeypox infections, which the CDC calls an emerging issue. That is the headline. Reading, reading, more than 80 cases, 15 countries, rare disease, usually contained to Central and West Africa. Now one man in Massachusetts has come down with it, another man in New York City. Neither has any connection to a person who has visited Western Central Africa. Blah, blah, blah. Reading, reading, reading. Paragraph six, disease experts have not pinpointed precisely how the virus is spreading. All right, 
It has been established, I have established that most people won't read past paragraph six. So most people aren't going to get to paragraph 18 in that NBC News story, 18. No one reads to paragraph 18. Not even copy editors read to paragraph 18. And here's what paragraph 18 begins with. Many of the newly identified cases in Europe are among men who have sex with men. In another story I read about monkeypox, a researcher was quoted as saying that they were afraid of being honest or direct or straightforward about the gay and bi connection because they didn't want homophobes using this story to stigmatize or attack gay and bisexual men. News organizations appear to be following their lead and doing the same thing, burying this detail halfway down through their stories or failing to mention at all that this outbreak seems to be entirely taking place among gay and bi men. Early in the AIDS crisis, public health officials and news reporters didn't raise the alarm about a new disease because they didn't care about gay or bi men. They didn't care whether we lived or died. Now they're failing to raise the alarm because they care about us too much, so much so that they don't want to hurt our feelings or accidentally hand ammo to anti-gay bigots who, if they don't have something real to twist and demagogue about, will just make shit up. See the whole groomers thing of the last few months? Over the weekend, Joe Biden said everyone should be concerned about monkeypox. And he's right. Everyone should be concerned. But gay and bi men should be especially concerned. And Biden didn't mention gay or bi men in his comments. And gay and bi men weren't mentioned in the Reuters piece about Biden's comments. In that NBC News story I mentioned earlier, a medical officer at the CDC, Dr. Agam Rao, is quoted it's probably premature and potentially even harmful to assume that there are only cases within that community, meaning among gay and bi men. She added, the story goes on, that overrepresentation of this group may simply be a product of skin to skin contact within a tight knit community. Hey. While not easily transmitted through casual contact and while not considered a sexually transmitted infection, turns out it's pretty easy for someone who has monkeypox to transmit it to someone who doesn't during sex, which is what appears to be happening among gay and bi men. And health officials like Rao and presidents like Joe Biden would clearly be more comfortable talking about monkeypox or want to talk about monkeypox in a way that suggests that everyone is equally at risk which wasn't true about HIV back then and doesn't appear to be true about monkeypox right now. I saw a tweet over the weekend about how the average gay man has way more sex than even the hottest straight guy. A tweet that was going kind of viral, viral, oh my God, that word, with a lot of boosts and retweets from other gay men, from gay men on Twitter. Guys, my fellow gay and bi men, we can't have it both ways. Yes, we have better sex and more sex than most straight guys do for all sorts of reasons, not because we're gay men, but because we're gay men. Straight men would do everything gay men do if straight men could, but straight men can't because women won't. And there are upsides to all this gay stuff to being gay and bi. If you like sex, if you like having a lot of it, ask your doctor if being gay might be right for you. But more sex means more sexual contacts, more sex partners, and more sexual contacts with more sex partners means more sexually transmitted infections. That's not homophobia. That's math. 
We need to be better about testing disclosure and seeking treatment. And gay and bi people are generally better about all of those things, as public health officials have been saying for decades. Gay and bi men are more likely to seek treatment, more likely to cooperate with contact tracing, more likely to take their meds. But we can't test, disclose, and seek treatment for something that we don't know we're at risk for because doctors and news organizations are afraid to put it in a headline because they don't want to be accused of homophobia. We shouldn't have to read 18 paragraphs into a news story about a health crisis to learn that we are most at risk and that this is a moment when we may need to be careful out there. I don't want to be alarmist. Maybe it's too late for that. Maybe I've been alarming already. I don't want to be alarmist. We're talking about 100 cases in 15 countries around the world. But gay and bi men need to know right now to watch out for the symptoms Gay men from all over the world are heading to Chicago for IML this weekend and to circuit parties all summer. All this pent-up demand after two years of COVID lockdowns. This weekend, those gay and bi men need to know that this disease is spreading. Guys need to know what the early symptoms are. A mild fever, headaches, muscle aches, swollen lymph nodes. And that if they have these symptoms, maybe they should stay home but with monkeypox being so hard to transmit, you don't even have to stay home. I think you should, but you don't have to. Transmitting monkeypox is hard. Not transmitting monkeypox is easy. You don't even have to avoid people to avoid spreading monkeypox. You just have to avoid that skin-to-skin -skin contact our community is famous for. So maybe if you get to IML this weekend and you're not feeling your best, you're not feeling 100%, keep your pants on. Or keep on your head-to-toe full rubber or full leather gimp suit. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and our guest, Randy Rainbow. Randy Rainbow returns to take some questions from my callers and to talk about his new memoir. There's a little bit of Randy on the micro and all of Randy on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. Hey, Dan, I am calling about something that my elderly neighbor across the hall from me shared with me that people aren't using the term girlfriend anymore because girl is apparently verboten. And I was like, oh, my God, Jim, is that why I hear people using the term partner all the time and not saying girlfriend? And I was like, that's kind of fucked up. Maybe it's been a long time since I've actually had a girlfriend, but I've been doing my hermit shit and I've been rocking it well. And I come out and I'm like, you know, man, eventually if I'm doing it right, I'm going to have a girlfriend who's going to become either a partner or a wife. But I feel like I want to, <clears throat> excuse me, that's fucking rude of me. I apologize. You know what? I want the right. I have a girlfriend and to call it a girlfriend and to not be peer pressured into calling it anything else but that. Hey there. It's fine with me if you get a girlfriend and you call the girlfriend that you get your girlfriend. Fine with me. So long as it's fine with your girlfriend. There may be people out there who are urging others not to use the term girlfriend because Women have been called girls and infantilized for decades, for centuries. It's a way of denying women their agency, autonomy, authority, power. 
by rounding them down to children, which the law used to do. Children were the property of their fathers. And when a woman married a man, married one of the sons who was the property of that man, she became the property of her husband, like the children were the property of the husband. So calling a woman a girl or calling the woman that you're dating your girlfriend has some perhaps negative echoes that come down through the centuries uh, in a way that me calling my, in his mid-30s boyfriend, my boyfriend does not. That said, people call each other baby. People call their romantic partners baby. And they're not suggesting that their romantic partners are helpless infants. It's an affectionate way of referring to someone that you are intimate with and care about and love. You're my baby. It means I want to take care of you and hold you and cuddle you, I guess. In a way, that's gross to think about too hard because, of course, you're doing things with your adult romantic partners that you call baby that you don't do, that no one but a monster would do with an actual baby. This is an alley I didn't want to go down and I'm going to turn around now and run in the opposite direction. You can call your girlfriend your girlfriend if it's okay with your girlfriend. What you shouldn't do is call your colleagues at work who are women girls or the girls. What you shouldn't do is when you want the waitress who is a professional at the restaurant where you're dining to pay some attention to you, you shouldn't say, hey, girl, you shouldn't call adult women that aren't your girlfriend girls. You certainly also shouldn't call adult women that you're not dating who aren't your girlfriend your girlfriend. Other than that, girlfriend's fine with me. And I guess I disagree with your elderly neighbor who doesn't actually factor into this discussion at all, unless your elderly neighbor is a woman and you hope to date him and want to call him your girlfriend someday. I assume all of those things are not true, which means you can disregard your neighbor's feelings about this. They are not relevant. Only your feelings and the feelings of your girlfriend to be named later are relevant. Hi, Dan. I'm a 35-year-old trans man who began medically transitioning about eight months ago. Previous to that, I was an escort for 10 years. During that time, I only dated and had sex recreationally with other transmasculine people and occasionally cis women. I really developed a strong ability within myself to go into a fantasy world in my head when I was with my clients, which was great because it allowed me to genuinely enjoy a lot of the encounters I had. However, at the same time, I have developed a strong disassociative response to interacting with cis men's bodies in a sexual context. However, I am now finding myself with a much bigger sexual appetite than I previously had to starting testosterone and wanting to explore the possibility of sleeping with cis men recreationally, especially since now I am retired from escorting. However, I am having... The problem of continuing to have a strong disassociative response, which isn't necessarily bad, but I'm just not having the experiences that I want. It feels very much akin to just fucking myself with a dildo. It's kind of like, what's the point of going to the work of meeting someone from Grindr if I'm just going to feel like it feels when I fuck myself with a dildo? 
So my question is, how do I reframe how I perceive and view cis men in terms of their potential to be sexual partners? To be clear, I'm not romantically interested in them. And I, in general, am just very T for T. I find a lot of magic in being with other trans people. And that's what I want for my life. I just want to have more sex. <laughs> and I do have some specific fantasies regarding cis men. They, additionally to that, a lot of those fantasies are kind of heavier consensual non-consent play, which I feel very comfortable doing with trans men, even if I don't know them very well. But I do feel a lot more caution around engaging in those types of fantasies with cis men that I don't know very well. At the same time, I'm not really interested in getting to know any cis men very well that I'm sleeping with anyway. I do have like gay cis men friends. So this is a very long-winded way of asking how do I rehumanize cis men in a sexual way and how do I bring myself back to a place of being more present with them? I think the ingredient that you're going to need to add to your relationships, and these are relationships, even if they're fleeting, I think a hookup, a one-night stand, even anonymous sex is still a kind of relationship. What you're going to have to add is affection, not romantic interest, not a romantic investment, but some affection for your cis male partners. And I guess I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Some investment of time and energy in getting to know them, particularly if what you're interested in exploring with cis men is harder core, power-infused DS play, power exchange play, not something that you're probably going to feel safe doing with someone that you don't know at least a little bit and have a good feeling about because you've talked with them because you spent a little bit of time with them because you've established trust. I have described cis men on this show for 15 years as testosterone soaked dick monsters. And I don't want to make a distinction between cis men and trans men that gets me into trouble but I do think trans men have an appreciation for what women, cis and trans, go through dating and being with straight cis men. And you, as a former sex worker, probably have a much deeper understanding and appreciation for and wariness about what cis men can be like, what cis men are capable of. Ugh. So to get to a place where you can have the kind of power exchange DSX that you want to have with some cis male individuals, you're going to have to get to know them. You're going to have to like them. You're going to have to trust them. I'm not saying trust cis men generally as a category. I'm not saying, hey, like us, gay cis men. I'm saying the individual cis gay men that you trust with your body and your time and your attentions sexual, even if those relationships are going to be brief and contained for you to really let go and enjoy those men, you're going to have to risk getting to know them and drawing a distinction between a romantic interest an expression of romantic interest and 
getting to know someone a little bit, getting to appreciate them, and getting to a point where there is some affection that leavens the attraction. So it isn't just about the sex, that you see them not just as dildos, but as people, just as you would like to be seen as a person, but also as objects too, because you are objectifying cis men. And I don't have a problem with objectification. I think we are also objects. We are dust, we are space rocks, right? And it can be an empowering thing to be objectified by someone who can do both things at once, objectify you and still have it in their head that you are a person with feelings that they have to take into account and remember and keep in the front of their mind, even as they're enjoying you as an object or you're enjoying them as an object. It might also help if you kept in the forefront of your mind, if you reminded yourself, if this was a little bit of a mantra before you hooked up with the cis men that I hope you're going to get to know a little better before you play with them in the future, remind yourself that one of the things that distinguishes the cis men that you're fucking around with now from the cis men who were your clients when you were a sex worker is that you get to choose them. Now, sex workers get to reject clients who make them feel uncomfortable, but sex work often means sleeping with, having sex with people that you wouldn't choose to have sex with if they weren't paying you for sex. And in that sense, you didn't choose your clients. They chose you. Now, when you sleep with cis men, now that you're not doing sex work anymore, these are guys that you've picked Get to know these guys a little better. Get to know them as people. Find guys that, again, no romantic spark, no romantic attraction or intention, but some affection and an ability to communicate with them about what you want and what it's going to take when you have the kind of sex with them that you want to have for you to feel safe and seen. And then you are likelier to see them, those guys, those cis men, as something more than dildos. Hi, I am a federal woman in the Colorado area. Um, recently met with a new relationship, and this guy's older than me, about 21 years older than me, in mid-30s, so he's mid-50s. Everything's going really, really interesting because the first night we met, we had really open conversation, which was lovely, and I have a lot of baggage, and he has a lot of baggage. So it felt like we were just open about everything. And we went back to his house after our first date and, you know, one thing leads to another. And he pulled back and he's like, there's something important I have to share with you. And I looked at him and was like, okay. And he says he cross-dresses, which I sat there and I was like, well, that's different. I think I said, okay, that's interesting. Tell me more, right? Because I've, I haven't ran into this before. And, you know, he has this whole closet full of different outfits, shoes, very big on shoes and pantyhose. And what do I need to know? What What's 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 the knowledge here? What am I not educated on to, like, be that supportive partner? And, you know, I enjoy all of it. And he likes dressing me up, which is great. And, like, I'll take all the shoes you want to give me. But... How do I navigate that and then also, like, provide him with support and comfort and, like, like what do I not know or understand and how does this help me expand as a person and be part of his life and 
connect with him. You are great. First of all, you're great. You're a wonderful partner to this guy at two months, but you are overthinking this and you're making this a lot more complicated than it needs to be. It's not so much what you need to know here. It's what you need to do. And you're already doing everything that you need to do. You heard him. You were kind of into it. You're turned on by it. You're receptive to it. You weren't obligated to be. And if a cross-dressing partner turned you off, you know, he laid his king cards down on the table early in the relationship like he should have. And you could have, if this wasn't something that intrigued or interested you or turned you off, you could have backed out of the relationship then. But it intrigues you. You're into it. And so you're doing it and enjoying it with him. You're encouraging him to dress up for you. He enjoys dressing you up too. And you like it. You like dressing up with him. You like the shoes he's sharing or giving to you. And you enjoy his kink. And huh, awesome, great. You're doing everything right. This isn't a test. There's no final exam. Uh, there's probably a lot that you could learn about cross-dressing from him. I'm sure it's something that he's thought about deeply, probably read about. He probably has some books. There may be some blogs or even podcasts specifically about cross-dressing that he listens to or books that he's read that he could recommend to you. And he really is your best resource, your best place to start. But, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't necessarily turn to him and say, Give me everything to read. I want to catch up with the reading. I want to prep and cram for the final. You don't want to make him feel like he's a problem you have to solve. There's no problem here. There's nothing you have to solve. This is something about him. It's a kink that you get to enjoy and you are enjoying it, which means you are doing all the right things already. And you are getting the education that you need to get, that you're open to someone's kinks when they lay their kink cards down on the table, open to, not obligated to, get into them, but you got into this and you enjoy it. Yeah, stop overthinking it. There's no coursework that you have to do here. Enjoy him, continue to draw him out, have conversations with him about it, and relax. You're doing everything right. Hi, Dan. 26-year-old female from the PNW here. About this time last year, I met a guy on a kinky dating website. Um, We really hit it off. We talked for the whole summer. He's gone for work for two months at a time, so he was at work while this was currently happening. And I was planning on moving to a city, and he was also planning on moving to that same city after he got back from work. So we decided to move in together after only dating for four months. I know. Let's just skip past that. (laughs) So we move in together. Everything's going pretty well until he starts drinking about two bottles of wine a day, at least. Little did I know he's an alcoholic and now he has relapsed. Everything's okay for a little bit. We're working on his drinking. It's frustrating. I'm doing most of the household stuff, but whatever. So fast forward to about last week, we get into an argument. He's been drinking. I've been drinking. I'd only had one drink. Um, I don't get loud or anything when I'm drunk. Um, Apparently, he does. I have never seen him like this before. 
Um, he had been mean to me a few times when he was drunk, but nothing like this. He started yelling at me, calling me a bitch, all other sorts of names. He threw his wallet at me, called the cops on me, even though he was the one that was yelling at me. I was just sitting there in shock. So that that happened. Before I went to bed that night, he, he quote, and like told me to eat shit and die. Two days afterwards, he's back at work for two months. So I'm at a point where I don't know if this is fixable or not. I have never been through something like this. I don't know if this is like normal relationship behavior that can be fixed. Little backstory, I have borderline personality personality disorder. And I also grew up with alcoholics. So I kind of have a hard time seeing what's healthy. So if, if you could tell me anything that like what you think, if this is salvageable, if I should just get the fuck out. Yeah, any advice would be very appreciated. This is not salvageable and it's not your job to salvage it. It's really interesting that when you refer to his drinking, you say we finally got his drinking under control. Like it's partly or half your responsibility to get his drinking out of control. And then when he is already committing minor acts of violence directed at you, you know, throwing shit at you, instead of saying he did that, you say that happened. He did that. He did that. You need to get the fuck away from this guy who's calling you a bitch, who's calling the cops on you, who's telling you that he hopes that you die, who relapsed, you know, started drinking again and then got sober for you with your help. That was something that you did together, getting his drinking under control and then fell back off the wagon. No, run, run and learn the lesson here. This is why you don't move in with people until you really know who they are. And you didn't know who this person was. Now you know. And now you know, if I may quote Whoopi from Ghost, now you know, you in danger, girl. You got to get out of there. And you have an advantage that a lot of people in your situation don't, in that he is gone for the next roughly eight weeks. So you can extricate yourself easily from this relationship. You can move the fuck out. You have time to gather your things together and make arrangements for yourself and move the fuck out without him drinking and screaming and yelling and threatening and throwing things. Yeah. Yeah. This is not salvageable. Get the fuck out. Please do it now. Don't hesitate. You can't fix him. You can't save him. His drinking, his sobriety is his responsibility, not yours. Your safety, your security, that is your responsibility. Get the fuck out. Hi, Dan. I'm a 33-year-old non-binary heteroromantic femboy or something like that. And I'm calling with a question about privacy versus honesty. My question, in short, is am I ethically obligated to tell a future potential housemate that I am or will become an online sex worker? In context, professionally, I'm a cartoonist, but I want to also become a hot slut for people to masturbate to on OnlyFans or a similar site. And I recently asked a friend to move in with me, primarily because I can't afford to live alone right now. 
I told him that I'm in an exploratory and experimental phase, coming out as non-binary and queer, dating uh, women and men for the first time in my life. And he was totally cool with all that. But I haven't told him that I will very likely be taking erotic photos, videos of myself in my room to put on the Internet, and that this may very well become a part of my public persona. And I have a somewhat pretty public persona already. Additionally, my kinky self has to do with things like feminization, specification, so there's lots of chastity cages and dildos, and I don't know if that adds anything to it, but it feels like, in any case, I'm torn. Is this just my privacy that I should respect and it's fine, it's not a big deal, or should I let him know about this wild, kinky future that I'm planning so he doesn't eventually feel like he signed up for something that he didn't know about? Joining me to help answer this question, because why not? Three-time Enemy winner and New York Times bestselling author Randy Rainbow. His new book, Playing With Myself, is in bookstores and on bestseller lists now. Randy, welcome back. Thanks, honey. I'm just a three-time Emmy nominee, but I'm not going to really correct you. In fact, oh. cut this part out. Oh, okay. I you. I- I'm sorry. Did I say winner? Let's go I with winner. Nominee. I like yours better. It's I an like honor just to be nominated. <laughs> um, Randy, you just well, met Carol there. Burnett. Barbara Streisand is a fan of yours. You perform with Patti LuPone. Why do you keep demeaning yourself by coming on my podcast? You don't need to do podcasts anymore. You know what? You're right. I'm really... Why did I even... I'm having second thoughts about this. Well, the reason I do it is because, believe it or not, well, I'm a big fan of yours. You know that. I love you to death, and I love everything you do. And my mother, more importantly, is a big fan of yours, which is why this is always kind of awkward for me, because I want to be open and answer these questions and talk about this stuff. But I know my mother's going to go listen back. Mm. I'm fortunate in that my mother is dead, so she's either hearing nothing or everything. (laughs) Um, That's so sweet. Your last video, uh, I have to say, you know, for people who don't know who you are, and I don't know anyone who doesn't know who you are, you make satirical Broadway show tunes parodies uh, about what's in the news. And your stuff is so good and smart and funny and camp and broad, but heartfelt. And you made one called Gay about the Don't Say Gay laws uh, that just passed in Florida. And you made me cry. You said that. I know you're always so sweet with your praise. I your your praise always makes me cry because you're so nice. Well, it's, well, thank you. I, I, tell me why. It, I I don't. There was just something. It was like an anthem almost in the end. It was just like so affirming about the necessity of of, yeah. of saying we're gay and you know or trans or bi or whatever, and just being unapologetic about it and in the faces of people who would like to shut us up because. The, you know, the video you're talking back to Ron DeSantis, the horrible governor of Florida. And it just was like, it just, I got all weepy watching it. It was just so great. And I thought of all sorts of people out there who, you know, I've been saying gay about myself for 40 years, but there are people out there who that's new, that word in their mouth, coming out of their mouths right. about themselves. And the world needs people like you showing like what a joy it is to say gay. Because when you first come out to people, that's when the shit hits the fan, right? You tell people you're gay and all the bad shit happens. Your parents freak out. You lose friends. You know, it causes problems. But the longer you live, the more people you tell it to, the more joyful it becomes. And that's what that video really captured. That's so sweet. And and as I was, you know, these things, I never really know where they're going to go when I start writing them. 
And it's a lot of balancing, like how political do I want to get, how nuanced, how, how personal, how, you know, and then I, I, I want it to be genuine and authentic. And ultimately, as I was, you know, making it, it did feel like an anthem. And it just, you know, I was happy to take the opportunity to just, just, you know, in the, in my, in the campiest way possible, just celebrate gay and, and being uh, yourself and not being afraid to say it. So I can't wait to see what you have for us next. The world keeps getting crazier and crazier. And the only upside of bad news is I get to look forward to a Randy rainbow video, (laughs) tearing it apart at some point in the future. (laughs) So Randy, I listened to this guy's question and I instantly thought of you making videos in your apartment. That's essentially what he's going to be doing. That's right. We do have many things in common, maybe more than you know, Dan. Perhaps. Um, have you ever <laughs> I had? I know a, what I'm saying. I'm just saying. Have you ever had a roommate? You know, you have your own wonderful apartment now. You share pictures on Instagram of you and your cat. You obviously live alone. You make your videos in privacy. But did you ever have a roommate who had to deal with you dancing around the living room while you shot a video? I, as far as long as I've been doing these videos, I have lived by myself, so I never quite had that issue. But yeah, when I first moved to New York, I had plenty of roommates. And I'm sure that there was awkward kind of moments. I'm I'm torn about this call because, you know, you're talking about privacy versus, well, what did he say? What, what was his conundrum? He's going to be making, he's going to be a porn star and he's going to be shooting filthy, kinky videos in his bedroom in this apartment that he's going to share with this guy. And does he, is there a duty to disclose? Does this guy whose apartment is going to be a porn set need to know before he moves in that he's moving into well, but a he, future porn he set. He didn't, I, 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 right. I don't think that he has uh, an obligation to disclose. It sounded like this friend of his was very open and was perhaps someone who might be interested to know. I guess they have that kind of relationship. This isn't someone he just like met online to, mm-hmm. for like a roommate situation. Um, so I don't think there's an obligation. I think that it's nice to to share. I don't know how much this will affect the housemate. Like, is it gonna is it, is it going to be outside of the bedroom? I don't know. If it if if in fact he is planning to turn the the apartment into like a set of sorts, then then yes, he certainly does have an obligation there. But at the same time. There's too much sharing these days, in my opinion. <laughs> and like, there's, I, I miss like the mystery of sex and the shadows. That's all gone. So I'm, I'm a little torn. The mystery, the shadows, also the surprises. Maybe the roommate would enjoy finding out in a roundabout way rather than having it disclosed in advance. When somebody says, dude, you, you, did you know your roommate's a porn star? Maybe that would be, you know, maybe the caller knows his future roommate well enough to know whether that would be tantalizing or titillating for this guy. Um, rather than having everything laid out in a legal document before, maybe he could just find out through word of mouth from people who may have stumbled over the caller's videos. Well, that, first of all, that'd be hot. And secondly, it doesn't sound like this person is would be any sort of threat should he find out. It sounds like it, it's a safe space, at least. So, yeah, I say less is more. And I want this guy to send me some of the videos when he starts making them because he has a sexy voice and I was kind of into what he's describing. Um, speaking of videos, speaking okay. of, of hot... Do you ever think about the odds that someone somewhere has masturbated to one of your videos? Because I don't think that that those odds are zero. I don't think they're nothing. You're a good-looking guy. You make these videos. They're fun. You must have fans of not just your work, but your look. I hope, gee, you know what? I never really thought about that until you just said it. 
I fucking hope so, though. Do you think? But I that think would be so. such an odd thing to to. Yeah, I mean, is is there anything really arousing about me doing show tunes? Like, There's, I mean, maybe whatever exists yeah. in the world. My theory is that someone somewhere is masturbating to it right now, and you exist in the world, and you have your videos get millions and millions of views. I just don't think. It, we can eliminate the possibility that someone somewhere not only has, but is right now masturbating to one of your videos. That would be a bigger honor than all three Emmy nominations combined. I hope you're right. But I'd also like to say that if, if that's in fact the case, I'd like them to speak up a little bit more and slide into a person's fucking DM. <laughs> because all my DMs on Instagram, you should see, they're all mothers. And I love everyone's mother and, and they're lovely and it's, they make up a large portion of my fan base. But my DMs are all, you know, middle-aged women telling me that they want to adopt me. And that is lovely. But I, I invite your very sexual, sexual positive audience to start sending me some dick pics because this is ridiculous. Send Randy Rainbow some dick pics and you may be his date at the Emmys when he wins the Emmy, not just gets the nomination. And you could be his date when he meets Carol Burnett the next time or Barbra Streisand drops by or Patti LuPone. So there's not just dick in it. There's all sorts of ancillary benefits to dating Randy Rainbow right now. This is a nice package I'm offering you here today. <laughs> Multiple packages, different iterations of package, different understandings. You know what package, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Can we keep you on for one more call? Please. Hey, alert listeners, probably noticed that we misgendered that caller throughout our response. The caller is non-binary. We used he, him pronouns. Apologies. To the caller, apologies to other non-binary folks out there who might have been offended. Unfortunately, Randy and I could not get back on the phone to re-record our answer, and I thought the caller would appreciate getting the response, and so we ran it. But my apologies to the caller. Hi, Dan and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. Calling because my nuclear family, mainly my parents' 34-year-long marriage um, that was always regarded as very idealistic and loving and sweet. We, My brother and I were both queer, always really saw our parents as this ideal married couple um, and kind of picture of leave it to beaver, white picket fence thing. About three years ago, my dad uh, was diagnosed with prostate cancer and in a kind of emotional talk to me said that he feels that he is bisexual. Um, but at that time, three years ago said, uh, did not want to act on it, loves my mom, not wanting to go outside the marriage in any way. Now, present day, about two weeks ago, my parents came over and told me that my dad feels that he needs to explore this bisexuality. And they tried opening up their marriage, they tried to do everything above board. But my dad has met a man that he wants to be with and uh, is essentially leaving my mom and they are getting separated. Um, it has been a major bomb for the family. Uh, for my brother, for myself, um, like I said, we're uh, both my brother and I are queer and are trying to both be supportive of my dad and his newfound realization about himself. He claims, although he had inklings of this when he was much younger, he never really could admit that to himself. And so there was a lot of shame and denial there. Um, and, and we're both pissed because my mom is grieving the loss of this uh, very long marriage and uh, she is not doing well. And we are, and especially I, I'm the one that lives closer to my mom. I'm doing a lot of emotional labor to support her during this time. And frankly, are concerned about 
her finances down the road and what this is going to mean for my folks. They're both in their like early to mid sixties. So they're uh, not super young. And definitely this is throws a wrench in my mom's plans for what she wanted. So any, any words of advice for the adult queer children of this very bizarre new dynamic? I once, Randy, I once had a boyfriend whose father came out as gay while I was dating him. And it was, it was shocking how upset my boyfriend was about this news um, that his dad was gay. And it was a little upsetting to me too, because he wanted to hang out with us at gay bars and he wanted us to kind of show him around. And it was super awkward. But this, this is even more awkward. This is so complex. It's, it's times like these when I do not envy you. I don't know how you, how you even answer this question. It is so complicated. I mean, you li- there's really no, I can't, I've racked my brain. I can't really think of a good solution. You literally have to kind of rip your heart in two and give, you know, one half to each parent. I, I, I don't know. Oh my God, Randy, that's beautiful. That's wonderful advice. Like sometimes there's no solution. Well, I mean, it's not practical, but I can't, but there's so much involved here and it's so, it's so complex and the, and the parent and the, and the kids are queer and then you want to be supportive of the father and certainly he's going through health trouble. So you, you really want to be supportive, but then if you have a great relationship with your mom, you want to stick up for her too. It's a lose-lose situation, but also a win-win situation. I don't know, Dan, help me. God, I just, 34 years of marriage in your sixties, the trouble and bother of divorce. There was an interview years ago with the Duchess of Devonshire. I was a fan of hers as well. And her husband, the Duke of Devonshire, was famously a philanderer and an alcoholic. And the woman from the New York Times said, why didn't you divorce him? And the Duchess of Devonshire said, oh, you Americans and your divorce is so tiresome. Who gets the piano? Who gets the books? Who gets the photo albums? And she just stayed with him. And so that's kind of my attitude toward divorce after decades together. And I am dot, dot, dotting here that I am decades together with my husband. Like uh, it would sometimes we thought about it. We've thrown the divorce word in each other's faces when we've had big fights, but we don't do it because what a bother it would be. What a pain in the ass. And so I would go to these parents and be like, can you be companions? Can you stay together and live together and, and, and be friends? Cause like 35 years, you're probably not fucking all the time anyway and your relationship is probably about something other and the marriage now is about something other than sex or passion or romance it's about this partnership and this history together maybe you can still have that even as dad goes off and sucks a dick i think that's the only the only yeah i think the power lies with the mother here she has to be open enough to accept that kind of new reality because that, that's, that's it, right? I guess the father does too, but he, he should be really nothing but grateful, frankly, that she would, she would be so malleable to that. Yeah, it's, like about adjusting, it's about adjusting expectations and making an accommodation. And maybe it's an expectation adjustment mom isn't capable of. God, and she's, I have a headache just thinking about And she it. certainly isn't obligated to make that expectation adjustment or that accommodation. But if that accommodation can be made... It solves the finances problem. It solves the companionship problem. And somebody needs to sit dad down and say, odds that you're going to be with your first boyfriend for the rest of your life? Nil. Like this guy you just met that you're leaving mom for, you might want to date. You might want to give that some time because it's probably going to run its course as all first gay relationships inevitably do. 
Well, that's true too. I hadn't even considered that he's, he's running off with this first guy. Yeah. That thing, when you come out where you're 15, like when, whenever you come out, if you come out at 15, you're 15. If you come out at 25, you're 15. If you come out at 45, you're 15. Dad is 65 coming out. He's 15. And like, he's going to make an adolescence decision here, which is to inflate this first boy he's into, into some grand romance that he needs to flip tables over for and blow, burn his life down to be with this guy. And it's probably not true. Probably shouldn't do that. Right. Well, so it really falls to the kids to kind of sit both parents down and uh, parent them. Yeah. That day inevitably comes. There's always that day as an adult child where one day you realize you are now parenting your parents and call her that day has come. If it hadn't already, you are parenting your parents through this. And like Randy said, you're going to have to love them both. And if that means tearing your heart in half and handing each parent half of your heart, that's how it's going to feel. And it's what you're going to have to do. Yeah. Good luck. I don't envy that person, those people either. That's, that's tricky, but I'm sure, you know, you never know. This, this could all work out fabulously by Thanksgiving. Life is long and messy. There was a certain blessing in shorter lifespans centuries ago. <laughs> you know, this could have been avoided with a typhoid epidemic. <laughs> well, stick around. You never know what's coming next <laughs> these days. Randy Rainbow, his best-selling book, New York Times best-selling memoir, Playing With Myself, is out now. Check out his videos online. He's on Twitter at Randy Rainbow. That is the best way to keep up with Randy's stuff as it comes out. Randy, thank you so much for continuing to demean yourself by coming on my podcast. And hi to Randy's mom, who is listening to us have this conversation. Hi, Randy's mom. Hi, mom. Um, thanks, Dan. I love you so much. And uh, I, I, I'm, I will never be above you. Well, maybe one of these days if I'm lucky <laughs> enough, but you know what I mean. I I'm just like to remind your your audience to send me some naughty pictures. Yeah. It's, it's lonely over here. This is what we have here is an example of the solicited dick pic. Randy Rainbow is soliciting your dick pics. Send them. I, I'm not above it. Slide into his DMs on Twitter and Instagram. You're also at Randy Rainbow on Instagram. That's correct. Randy, thank you so much. I stumbled over you early and I was a fan from the get-go and to see the success that you've had and to be joined in my Randy Rainbow fandom by people like Barbara Streisand and Patti LuPone and Carol Burnett is so affirming of my taste just to make this about me. And I'm, <laughs> I knew it would come back to you. <laughs> and I'm so happy for you. That means the world, and and I. It is not lost on me how supportive you have been of me since day one. I even mention you in my book because because of that. And uh, I love you. Thank you. I love you too. I hope you'll come back anytime. Hi there. My partner and I have been dating for about six months, though we've been friends for many many years. And during the time that we've been dating, we've had the conversation about what we would do if I were to get pregnant. And I am in the middle of a grad school program right now, but he has told me that if he could have any say in my decision, that he would not want me to have an abortion. Unfortunately, with the timing of such news, I found out I was pregnant the week before finals. And my partner and I talked about it for several days, weighing our options and deciding if this was something that we could actually follow through with right now. And it was an incredibly difficult decision and not something I would wish on anybody 
regardless of how pro-choice you are. But ultimately, I decided I didn't want to sacrifice my career nor education. And so I made an appointment for Planned Parenthood the following week. When I told my partner my decision, he was pretty heartbroken and devastated. He lives in a different state, and so he kind of just retreated. He stopped asking me how I was doing or how I was feeling. He wasn't able to come out for the appointment. And even the few times that we did talk during the week before my appointment, he was so defensive. And I ultimately didn't even want to talk to him right before my appointment because of the lack of support that I received from him. So two days after the news was leaked that the Supreme Court was planning on overturning Roe v. Wade, I had an abortion right in the middle of my finals week. And my partner and I have talked many times since then. And I know that he has good intentions and he has told me that he was just trying to protect me from influencing me with his decision because he didn't want me to have the abortion. But ultimately, I'm just feeling really heartbroken that I didn't have support from him. I am surrounded by an incredible community, so I wasn't alone. But the lack of support from my partner feels pretty detrimental to our relationship. This was something that was mostly happening to to me. And so it it kind of hurts that he couldn't suspend his emotional experience even temporarily to be there to support me. And so I'm wondering if you have any advice about how to move past this. My partner is pro-choice. He believes in women's right to choose. He's told me that he knows that I made the right decision, but I'm having a hard time figuring out how to trust him again. I support the decision that you made. I support your right to make the decision, to make the choice that you made. I wish your boyfriend could have been there for you, put you and your feelings ahead of his own feelings at that moment and been physically present. That said, I'm kind of struggling because it's your choice, ultimately. It's the woman's choice whether to terminate a pregnancy. And he supports your right to make that choice, to make that decision. I support your right to make that choice, to make that decision. I do, however, want to make some space for his feelings. And he's allowed to have his feelings. And I do think, particularly in the context of and you've only been together six months, so maybe this isn't quite the context of a committed partnership, but you guys have known each other for a while before you began to date. You've been dating for six months. This was an unplanned pregnancy. I want to acknowledge that in that context, in the context of a committed relationship, the guy's feelings, they have to be, if not factored into the decision, allowed for, given some space to, and in this case, because you made the choice to terminate this pregnancy, some space for your partner who wishes that you had made a different choice because he would have liked to parent with you, have a baby with you, which of course is still possible if you guys stay together long term and your circumstances change and you would welcome you know, a pregnancy in the future, he may still be able to have a baby with you. But he wanted to have this baby with you. And that wasn't in the offing. That wasn't in the cards. He's allowed to have the feelings that he has about that. I think he should be allowed to articulate them. I think he was wrong to withdraw from you in this way. That feels emotionally manipulative. That feels retaliatory almost. You say that he stopped calling, stopped asking how you are, asking how you're doing, on top of not 
making himself available to be there for you, to take you to the appointment, to go to the appointment with you, even if you were not making the choice that he would have rather you'd made. That seems like a problem. That seems like something that you guys are going to have to hash out, talk about, and address if this relationship is going to continue, if this relationship is going to survive this conflict. And this really was a conflict. Let's acknowledge it as a conflict. You got pregnant, an unplanned pregnancy, not the right time in your life for you to become a parent. You made a decision. You made a choice, not the choice that he wished you'd made. That's a disagreement. That's a conflict. And you'll have to resolve that conflict if the relationship is going to survive. And sometimes in committed long-term relationships, the resolution of a conflict isn't everybody's happy. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone agrees that, you know, you were right. They were wrong or they were right. You were wrong. Sometimes you resolve the conflict just by acknowledging that you there, this was a conflict and this was painful and it was painful for him, but it was more painful. I think for you that he couldn't, as the pro-choice man that he says he is, recognize your right to make this decision, your autonomy, your agency, and ultimately support the choice that you made for yourself. But I do think that you can give to him, that you recognize that this was a choice. I don't want to say a choice that you imposed on him because the choice was never his. But he would have liked to have had a baby with you. And he still could. If you want this relationship to survive, and you may not, his actions, his behaviors may be disqualifying. You may want to terminate this relationship. And I would support you in that decision too. Hey Dan, I'm on one of these online dating apps and this girl I matched with, one of her prompts, says that she recently discovered kinks are hereditary. Can you please confirm or deny this statement? A whole bunch of personality traits are heritable. They can be passed on to us. They have some genetic component, extroversion, neuroticism. And as they say in the journalism biz, sometimes facts are too good to check. And in this instance, I think what we have here is a fact that's too icky to contemplate. Maybe someone out there has done the research on whether kinks are one of those heritable traits. But if someone has done that research, if there is an answer to your question, I'm not sure I want to go looking for it. Because if my mom was getting up to some of the shit that I get up to, I don't think I want that thought in my head when I'm getting up to the shit and the shit I get up to is not shit just for the record. When I'm getting up to the shit that I enjoy, I want to think about my mom doing it or my grandma doing it or my dad doing it or my siblings doing it. So yeah, I don't know. You say that this person that you saw on this dating app claims to have discovered this. If they're a sex researcher and they have the data and they'd like to share it with me, maybe one day, a couple of decades from now, I'll take a peek at it. But right now, if kinks are heritable, I think I speak for everyone out there because almost everyone out there has at least one kink. I think I speak for everyone out there when I say, we don't want to know. Okay. I've got a polyamory question. I am a married, omnisexual, genderqueer woman um, non-binary-ish person living in the PNW and I 
had a couple threesomes with a couple that I met on Tinder. Had a couple dates before the couple of threesomes. So like four dates total is what we're talking. On the second hookup date, so the last time I saw them, I found out that the this was a cis couple, the female of the cis hetero couple had some views on um, vaccination that I really found troubling in some ways. I completely do understand having some concerns about the vaccines for health reasons and those sorts of things. But um, I basically found out that they were a vaccinated anti-vaxxer in that they only got vaccinated because their job forced them to, to retain employment and they did not vaccinate their children and just had some other troubling views on like some things around like fat shaming. So all that said, then during the threesome, they also like, I brought over a purse that I thought I had stocked up with barriers, but it turns out it was the purse from the previous time, not the new purse that I packed. And so I ran out of barriers and asked them if they had more condoms and they proceeded to like rummage around and search and say like I think I've got some at the health center a couple of years ago but it was clear that they did not actually have like condoms in their bedside table or even like newly purchased condoms and given that like we met on tinder and that they had invited me over for a threesome the fact that they didn't have condoms that were like fresh and readily available really gave me pause. And so this is really an etiquette question in that I have not talked to them for the last couple of months at this point. I kind of faded away and then ghosted. And I wonder if I owe them an explanation. But also, like, I think if it had been one person, I might have been more inclined to try to explain myself. But just with the power imbalance of it being like two to one. And maybe I was also just frankly uncomfortable having a conversation, maybe I should send them a thank you note for the couple of dinners that they did have me over for and stuff. So I don't know. What is the etiquette here? What is the etiquette here? Or is it really an etiquette question? Is this more of an employment question? Do you wish that you'd had the opportunity to do an exit interview with this couple before you withdrew, dripped off, went silent, ghosted on them? an exit interview where you could have told them that you were uncomfortable with the fact that they were reluctant vaxxers who hadn't vaccinated their kids, that they were the kind of people who would be reckless with their own health and reckless with the health of their children. And then you discovered that they were reckless in other ways too, by not having a fresh pile of condoms around. Now, maybe it's been a long, long time since they, you know, couple with kids have fucked around with anybody else and they don't use condoms with each other. And it was just nobody thought to buy them. And it was an oversight. And the fact that the first times you guys messed around, you'd brought the condoms over. They didn't feel like they needed to get them. They didn't think to go get them because you were bringing them around. I don't necessarily think the fact that this couple didn't have fresh condoms on hand indicts them. I do, however, think that the condom thing, when viewed alongside the reluctance to get vaccinated and then the refusal to protect their own children from COVID by having them vaccinated, yeah, that's a coincidence that I wouldn't have been comfortable with either. I would have been out of there too. Do you owe it to them to say something? Well, no. I think you're just going to get a lot of pushback and grief from them if they are 
aggressive anti-vaxxers. They're no more going to welcome a health message from you or your concerns about their health than they welcome that message from the federal government. And so it would be a waste of time and effort and you'd probably just get a lot of grief for it and it wouldn't change their behavior. All that said, to examine this from a slightly different angle, this couple probably wonders why you stopped responding to them. Everybody who gets ghosted walks around, often limps around, sometimes calls me while they're limping around, wondering what they did wrong, why this person ghosted on them. So uh, they probably would like to know what happened. Everybody says that. They want to know. They don't want to be ghosted. They would like an explanation. And yet... If you offered them that explanation that this couple, if they were calling me, would probably like to have, yeah, you're going to get blown up at. You're going to get yelled at. There'll be pushback. So it not for you. You asked, should I do this for myself? Not for you. I don't think you should do this for yourself. I don't think you owe it to yourself. But if you want to, you can do it for them because they would probably like to know. But they will when they find out when, if you tell them, they're going to be unpleasant about it. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech at Risk Youth. I'm a bisexual guy in his mid-40s living in the Midwest. I recently returned from a military deployment. Before leaving and after years of therapy and struggle, I told my wife of 22 years that I needed to start prioritizing my own happiness finally, and part of that means dating men. Traditionally, I've stuffed down all my own needs and desires for happiness in order to stay in a box that I didn't fit in, in an attempt to keep everyone else happy. When I told her she wasn't too surprised and didn't try to talk me out of it, although I know she does not like the idea. We both come from a very strict Mormon background, and my sexuality has been a struggle for both of us for a long time. We have three kids, two of which are still at home. While on deployment in the Middle East, I met a wonderful divorced man with a very similar background to my own. We hit it off really well with the idea of having a temporary relationship just while deployed, But fast forward several months and I'm now planning on moving in with him on the West Coast. When I'm with him, I feel a deep sense of peace and connection, so I know I'm on the right track. Under normal circumstances, we wouldn't be moving this fast, but cost of living is a huge factor. My wife and I are separated now, but staying legally married for insurance reasons. However, my older two kids, very steeped in the church's doctrines and culture, are furious at me for being in a new relationship before getting a formal divorce. They don't even want me to mention my partner's name to them. My question is this, given the complexities of the situation and the religious backdrop, what can I do to promote peace within the family, let them know I love them, but also continue to prioritize my own happiness and self-worth? I'd love to see the unlikely day when we all sit around the kitchen table together for holidays, but would definitely settle for something much less idealistic. What can I do? You can hang in there. I want to address your question in part from your kid's perspective. My dad left my mom when I was 15 years old. You don't mention how old you are or how old your kids are. But my dad left my mom when I was 15 years old. And my parents were very religious. We were a very Catholic family. My dad was an ordained Catholic deacon, the first class of the ordained permanent diaconate. It's a thing. And my parents ran Catholic marriage encounter sessions and were evangelical Catholics. And so even though by age 15, I knew I was gay, even though by age 15, I was no longer uh, a believer in anything, not in God, much less the virgin birth, the Trinity, 
Mary's ascension into heaven, the resurrection, none of it. I was really angry with my dad when he left my mom because I still loved and cared for my mom very much. And it was awful to watch, you know, I lived with my mom. I was a teenager. All of my mom's kids lived with her and she had custody of us. And so we were all witness to the devastation. And I would see my mom when my dad would come over to the house because they had to sign papers, they had to talk about something. I would see my mom pull herself together and put on a good face for my father because she didn't want him to see how devastated she was at losing him. And then the minute he left, I would, I, cause I was a gay closeted, still uh, mama's boy, terrified of leaving the house, socially isolated. Like my mom was my best friend. I would see her fall to pieces and I would be there to help pick her up. And I sided with my mom in the divorce. And one of the ways I showed my loyalty to my mother was by expressing a lot of anger at my father and not really having anything to do with my father or his new girlfriend, then new fiance, then new wife for years. The last time I talked to my dad, I asked him to put his wife now of 20 plus years, 30 plus years longer than he was with my mom, the woman he left my mom for on the phone so that we could talk for a minute and that I could tell her that I love her. So I traveled a great distance and have a better relationship with my dad now, really in some ways than I did when my, when I was a kid, because my dad and I were always a little bit estranged because I was this gay kid. You know, they talk about why kids are gay and like they do a little bit of false analysis, right? That, you know, boys grow up to be gay because they don't have really good relationships with their fathers. No, 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 no. You're getting it backwards. I didn't have a good relationship with my father because I was a pre-gay child and it made him uncomfortable and he could tell and I could tell he could tell and then made me uncomfortable that he was uncomfortable. The better relationship now. I would urge you not to pressure your kids to do anything yet that pushes them into having a relationship with you that was one of the things my dad did right. Didn't push me to have a relationship with him, even though he let me know it was painful that we didn't have a relationship for those four years. Basically, I didn't speak to him after he left my mother. And don't push your kids into being in contact with or relationship with or sitting around the kitchen table with your new partner, especially if your kids are older. They will come around in time. Eventually my mom and dad reached a point where they could be in the same room together. My mom remarried, my dad remarried. My mom ultimately recognized that she was in a better relationship and happier now, uh, happier with her second husband than she was with her first husband than she was with my father. But it took time. You're only recently out you're in a new relationship. It may be a lasting relationship. It may not be a lasting relationship. You, you admit you're rushing things for cost of living reasons and you're staying married for health insurance and other logistical considerations. You can communicate that to your kids. You can put it in writing. You can call them. Maybe you see them still. You can say all that to them. And even if they act in that moment like they're not hearing it or they're rejecting it. They're hearing it and it will sink in over time. My dad was the grown up 
in our relationship. And he was patient. And ultimately, I came around. It took time. Your kids, like my dad's third kid, will come around. But it's going to take time. And that's the gift that you can give them right now. Give them time. Don't abandon them. Don't cut them out of your life. Don't end communication from your side, even if you get pushback or negative responses from your kids at the time, at this time. Keep at it, but give them the gift of time. Give them the gift of space. Be the grown up. Hey, Dan, I'm calling out of Florida. So recently I had met or matched with a woman on Tinder. I'm 30, she's 34. You know, she said she was married and, and just kind of looking for whatever. And I was, I was okay with it. You know, it would have been, a, it was a new situation for me. Long story short, you know, we went on four or five gym dates, you know, all three of us, her husband included. And then we went out to eat a couple times. And, um, obviously we, you know, we did the deed on one of those occasions. Um, but me and her just kept talking every day and, uh, we've been talking every day. Things escalated quickly and emotional quickly. She started looking at me one way and I started looking at her another way. And I, I don't know if I should feel wrong or, or, or what. I, I don't, I don't want to blab the business out, but basically, uh, you know, there was some cheating on his part and it had gone on a long while and, as of recently, he slept with a female randomly. I mean, it seems like the divorce is inevitable. And but but that was my thing is I didn't I didn't want to come between anyone. Now I feel like I have, but I'm questioning whether or not you know the feelings I have for this person are right or wrong, or you know if I should just exclude myself from the situation. Um, it's it's really new, really weird for me. Never never done it before, so. Not, not really quite sure what to think about all this. He seemed friendly at first, and then I think when he realized like uh, our attachment was there or something, he just kind of got things got out of, a little out of hand. But when I talk to her, it's you know all divorce, so I, I don't know. Exclude yourself, definitely exclude yourself. And dude, you didn't come between them; you were yanked between them. Does she have feelings for you? Did she catch feelings for you? That's possible. It's also possible that she's using you to punish him for his infidelities that predate your arrival on the scene. You can't know if this is drama that they're stirring up and involving you in, or if this is just life being messy and someone, this woman, meeting someone they want to be with, that would be you, before they've ended things with the someone they're with now, and that would be the husband who's unhappy about the connection that you have with his wife. If she has genuine feelings for you, and if their marriage is ending, it'll end, and she can circle back to you after it's over. But right now, your presence... Ugh, it's not good. No good is going to come of it. If it's drama, it's going to get worse. If it was just life being messy, it's going to get dramatic. What you do is you go to her and say, huh, look, caught feelings for you. 
I recognize this is a hard and difficult and bad time. I'm going to step back while you sort things out one way or the other with your husband. If you're single in the future and you want to call me, you know my number. You could also say that to him. Look, you guys approached me together. You know, we had a couple of gym dates. We went to dinner. We did the deed. And when you say that, I think you mean you had a three-way. We did the deed with your participation, with your consent, if he wasn't there. And it was never my intent for this to get messy. So I'm going to, recognizing that you're hurting right now, and that was never my intention, I am going to step back. I'm going to step out of this and then do it. Because whether this is drama, and this is a couple that mistakes drama for passion, and they're just stirring up shit and involving other people in it and playing games, or this is just life being messy. There's no way for you to figure that out in your position. Only they know. And only, at least for you, only time will tell if she is single a year from now and available and unencumbered by the angry ex cheating husband. All right, then you guys can date right now. Well, you could, but you shouldn't. All right, before we get to this week's listener feedback, let's read some listener tweets. Professor Dad tweets, when Mistress Matisse said on the Savage Lovecast, I'm Gen X and I don't really give a shit who uses what word, I heard trumpets playing in admiration. You can make yourself crazy, Professor Dad goes on, quoting Mistress Matisse, you can make yourself crazy trying to police these things or you can keep your eyes on the bigger picture. I feel so seen. Thank you. Professor Dad, for that tweet, I also feel so seen whenever I have Mistress Matisse on the show. We get on like a dungeon on fire. Spelling Belieber tweets, the greedy guy on the Savage Lovecast who is concerned that he was losing sensibility in the head really made me chuckle because contained in that malapropism is the entire reason Detra for Dan Savage's whole media empire. Of course, he meant losing sensitivity in his head. But maybe if you've got an eight-inch dick and you're trying to make it bigger, you have lost some sensibility in your head already. And finally, Sarah Elizabeth tweets, if you haven't watched Minx on HBO yet, Dan, you should. Two episodes in and Lennon Parham is talking about using a vibrator during sex and how sex toys are feminist tools. Helpful viewing for the recent caller who wants a man who is okay with her using a vibrator. All right. Thanks to everybody who tweeted or posted your other social media about the show this week. We really appreciate it. It helps spread the word about the Savage Lovecast. And if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now those listener feedback calls we can't get enough of. Hi, Dan. This is a response call to the former Mormon LDS lesbian caller concerned about her sister's pending nuptials. I was born and raised in a cult, the Unification Church, and Moonies are very similar with the indoctrination of purity culture. We're literally born into it and drink the Kool-Aid all the way up until you find out that you're not sexually compatible with the person that you are matched and married to and you've already had a bunch of kids. I, as the second of five kids, was the first to leave the church and my family and unfortunately had to watch my older sister go through a matching and a marriage to a guy from a different country. And because I had kind of been excommunicated from the church, people didn't 
really give a shit what I had to say. And it actually took a couple of years for my sister to realize that she had made a mistake. And, you know, eventually she came around and was like, hey, I'm so sorry, you were right, blah, blah, blah. And that's not what I was looking for. But my advice to you is exactly what Dan said. Make yourself available to them. Kind of like with people whose family are in QAnon, make yourself available to them when they are interested in talking. But ultimately, you have to let them make their own mistakes. And I know it's like watching somebody drive off a cliff, but they will grow to resent you and somehow pin the blame on you if you're more firm and coercing them away from their decision to make this mistake. All that being said, good luck, and I'm rooting for you. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. This is in response to the caller from episode 812 who was pondering her usage of the word whore and the response it elicited from a sex worker who overheard her. I'd like to add that this has to do with connotation. Because everyone's experience and history with words is different, we all have unique reactions to them, which is how we offend people unintentionally. For example, I have zero issues with the word cunt, while a lot of women find this to be the most offensive word you could call them. This word doesn't incite any negative emotions for me because I don't have any history with it. No one in my circle ever used this word, so no negative emotions arise within me when someone uses it. However, I have decades of negative history and emotions attached to words like slut and whore, so I find these words highly offensive. So to answer your question, caller, you responded the right way in the moment, and you should keep using the word whore. In the future, if you're going to use any loaded or highly emotive language in a public place where people can overhear you, whisper or choose a euphemism. This is a response for the woman in 812 who keeps getting ghosted and thinks it's because of her body count or her being kinky or something. Listen, you're not special. Dan said it already. All of us are getting ghosted out here. But to put a finer point on it, Something like 50 to 70% of dating app users have never met a single match in person, and perhaps half have no intention of ever meeting anyone in person. They're on there for the confidence boost, to procrastinate, to have someone to chat with in that moment, or just something to do while pooping. It can be hard to find somebody who actually wants to meet in person. You can't take it personally. Best of luck in your search. And we're going to leave it there. If you have a question for next week's show or something to say about something I said on this week's show, use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. It is the final weekend of Hump 2022 Spring Tour, and we're wrapping things up with screenings in Washington, D.C., and Baltimore, and streaming online everywhere else. Didn't catch us these past few months on the road with Hump 2022 Spring Tour? Do not fret. We are right now lining up more dates for the fall Hump 2022 tour in cities like Atlanta, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, and more. Go to humpfilmfest.com for screening info, tickets, and streaming links. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Randy Rainbow on Twitter at Randy Rainbow. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hertunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week on the installment of the Savage Lovecast 